In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, guys, that was the absolute perfect ending for 2020. Uh, we are, we are the 2020 NFL season. We're sitting here talking about the Eagles tanking uh, and allowing the Washington football team to get into the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I just I, it, it, it was just perfect. Uh, we, we predicted at the end of last show that it would be a fiasco of a final game. And it somehow was just crazier than ever uh this is the counter i'm chris corman uh joined by steven ruiz and charles mcdonald our nfl experts what'd you guys think of week 17 it it was kind of bad right like i know there were like implications across the league and the i guess there were some close games but i was like not interested at all i didn't care nope it was a uh, it was a pretty boring game uh pretty boring week i mean uh a, a couple games were blowouts like the Ravens absolutely destroyed uh, Cincinnati. Like some of these games, I mean, with playoff implications, were just blowouts. Like the Ravens destroying Cincinnati, Tampa Bay took it to Atlanta, especially at the end. Buffalo, I mean, just beat the doors off uh, Miami. It, it was just not not a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Indianapolis versus Jacksonville was never close. Chicago versus Green Bay was never really that close. Uh, Carolina versus Saints was never close at any point. Um, The the Lions Vikings game looked like it was a rollicking good time, but I mean, that game couldn't have mattered less, right? Like, (laughs) right, right. It it looked like fun stuff was happening there, but I never actually paid attention. Yeah. And it it was just fitting to get the game that mattered the most at the end with the NFC East winner, uh, Washington football team playing the Eagles. You just get the Eagles doing something so despicable that. (laughs) People are just <laughs> furious, absolutely furious uh, at, at that game. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you somehow miss this, the Eagles, uh, it was a close game heading in. It was like, what, a touchdown uh, game heading into the fourth quarter. And the Eagles moved away from Jalen Hurts. And Hurts had not been great in the game. I mean, his numbers were OK, but he was obviously the reason the Eagles were in the game, though. I mean, he's able to create. Even when things are bad around him and things have been bad around the Eagles offense the entire season. Uh, and all of a sudden, Nate Sudfeld, a, I think this is his fifth year, uh, just a perpetual career backup, uh, played at Indiana. Uh, the Eagles throw him out on the, f- on the field. Giants players are going nuts. You know, Charles, who covered the Giants, was sending us tweets from from Giants players saying, uh, you know, (laughs) what in God's green earth is happening right now? Uh, And so Nate Sudfeld went out and played as you would expect Nate Sudfeld to play in, uh, you know, the guy I uh, apparently Doug Peterson, the Eagles coach, said that this was sort of part of the plan and that he was hoping to see what he had in Sudfeld and give him some playing time. But Nate Sudfeld sure looked surprised that Nate Sudfeld was playing because he uh, he was just a, a mess. Uh, and so this has become like this is the 
who knows how long it'll last. Hopefully like 10 more minutes. Hopefully this story just blows over. But it is the talking point of Monday morning, as often Sunday night games are. Uh, People are livid with the Eagles for quote unquote tanking here. How do you guys feel about this? What's what's your view on what happened? Is this a disgrace to the integrity of the NFL? No, I saw Jake Luton start multiple NFL games. <laughs> no one cared. And that's far more egregious than Nate Sudfeld getting in the fourth quarter of a meaningful game. And the more despicable thing is the people that actually tuned in to watch this game, hoping to see some competitive event. Like, have you tracked the NFC East all year long? You Were you hoping right. for a barn burner? <laughs> Here's the, here's the despicable part to me is that like it was never out of reach for Nate Sudfield, which is <laughs> the awful part. Like, come on, like with as bad as he was playing, Washington should have absolutely blown him out. And the fact that it was close at the end is is the real tragedy because I think if if it was like and you know Nate Sudfield comes in and they're already down thirty to seven or whatever, who cares? But like I think it's just the fact that they had a chance to win that game. And the fact that Washington couldn't put it away when he was playing like as bad as he was, like, <laughs> like, like me and Steve were tweeting about it last night. Like, can you imagine if you're Nate Subfield, you you get off that field and you hop on social media or whatever, and you played so poorly that people are accusing your team of tanking like that. Like, that, that, that can't feel good. Uh, and I think that we just have to blame Washington for not being able to just put him out of his misery last night. The, the right. funnier part is that, like, people were offended before he even played poorly. <laughs> like, just the idea <laughs> of being on a football field, like, caused all of Twitter to melt down. It caused the Giants. The Giants are like, how dare they? I would just be so offended if I was Nate Sudfeld. Yeah. And I remember at one point a couple of years ago, there were Eagles fans who were like offended at the thought of trading away Nate Sudfeld for a second round pick. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like really? Nate Sudfeld? Like, you've never seen him play. And you're talking about potentially getting a second round pick for him, and you say no. I'm like, yeah, this guy's got the goods. I'm like, you just, you just say that because, like, Doug Peterson. He's an unknown. Right. right. He's an unknown quantity. And uh, right. now we know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, he can't, he can't play. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles went from the ninth pick in the first round to the sixth by losing. Like, it, it's absolutely the right move, uh, you know. And that, so they pick a little bit higher in every round in the draft. It's like, yeah, this is like the draft is designed to incentivize losing. Like, it, like literally, this is the system. Uh, why yeah. anyone would be surprised that a team might. Uh, take that into consideration. And yeah, the Eagles were already, I mean, if they really wanted to tank, they would have played uh, Carson Wentz, right? But like they just let him rest. Uh, I think Alshon Jeffries is also listed on the inactive list as resting. Uh, and like this sort of thing happens at every position in football for teams that are out, right? Like they'll, the team will put in a le- their third string left tackle to see what they got. Uh, but just because it's quarterback, we're, we're freaking out about it. Uh, yeah, and I th- so. think it's just also how just how futile the whole thing looked. Uh, Nate Sudfield threw twelve passes last night. Uh, he had thirty-two yards and an interception, which is you know two point seven yards per pass attempt, pretty bad. Uh, he had a QBR of two point four. That's just on a scale of one hundred. Like it, it was also just how bad it, it was. Like he, at no point when he was in the game did you feel like they were going to gain any meaningful yards. Like that one time he scrambled for a first down, which is absolutely stunning to me because I didn't know that he had that in him just based on like everything that he had put forth, like in the place leading up to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> one time. 
Yeah, <laughs> he did drop the snap. Uh, I, like, I, I don't know um, if it's fair to accuse him of tanking because it does seem like the plan was for Nate Stubbsville to get some reps. Uh, right. It's just like, right. man, did you know he was going to be that bad? Yeah, and I mean, they, they have to see him in practice. Or, like, they must know more. I You know, I don't know what they were, what the actual reasoning would be from Doug Peterson other than just, eh, I wanted to do this. I, I wasn't really watching the game, but, but I was like following it on Twitter. And like, you would think that they, it was like some insurmountable lead. And then you turn the game on. It's like <laughs> six point game with like eight minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, poor Nate Sudfeld. But uh, you know, like this is like I said, this is was sort of a very fitting ending to the weird twenty twenty NFL season. Uh everything just uh, we weird controversy after weird controversy and like never really being sure what's going on. And the NFC East being horrible, just awful uh, somehow somehow grabbing the news cycle when all sorts of other teams were were fine and interesting and and did did decent things. I, I have a question for you guys. Do you think the we this was mentioned a little bit at the le- end of our last show that adding the seventh team, the seventh playoff team in each conference, uh, that there was an unintended consequence that week seventeen for teams that had already clinched or were pretty much in their spot, since there's only one buy and only one team uh that can get that that week off it sort of had this unintended consequence of of teams not caring that much about week 17 and creating their own buy game you know we saw that with the Steelers for sure uh but I'm wondering like did it did it make week 17 less interesting uh adding this extra team yeah I think so yeah and I'd say the one game that really made it less interesting was the Dolphins just getting blown out in buffalo and it would never be in a game because that was like the kind of the key to the the rest of the afc like the colts it would have been more interesting in their second in their game in the second part of the day the browns i think that would have affected their seating so that i think that that was like a domino effect once that game got out of hand then like the rest of the afc playoff picture just didn't really matter at all right yeah Yeah. i mean it would have been cool to see uh like, if, if Pittsburgh had a chance to get a bye, I'm sure that they would have played some of their starters yesterday uh, against Cleveland. And it, it just, it just kind of made for a little bit of lackluster Week 17, which is already prone to being lackluster uh, in a normal year. But I, I think it's good. Like, when you look at the playoff schedule for right. this upcoming weekend, that's when you're like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty tight. You get three, three wild card games on Saturday and Sunday, which is something we've never had before. Right. Let's uh, let's run through those. Uh, so, you know, playoffs are obviously set now. Uh, the Packers are the number one seed in the NFC. The Chiefs are the number one seed in the AFC. So those two teams get the bye uh, and will not play. And that leaves us with the Saints-Bears as the 2-7 matchup in the NFC. The football team and the Bucks as the 4-5 matchup. And the Seattle Seahawks versus the Rams as the 3-6 AFC West matchup or NFC West matchup there. Uh, over in the AFC, the two seven is Bills Colts. The four five is Titans Ravens, a rematch from last year. Uh, and Steelers Browns will play again as the three six 
so these are great games. The schedule is Saturday, 1 o'clock is Colts Bills, 4.40 is Rams Seahawks, 8.15 is Buccaneers versus the football team, and then Sunday is Ravens Titans to open it, Bears Saints are the mid, middle game, and Brown Steelers close out the weekend. So yeah, like Charles said, I mean, this is this is unprecedented. This is just a, a jam-packed weekend of football. Uh, which games are you guys most looking forward to out of this slate? Uh, I think I don't I kind of I'm interested in Bear Saints for like the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, go, where where are you going with this? Because I, <laughs> I, I a part of me wants the Bears to win a playoff game. So they're kind of locked into Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> you have to sign him at that point. Right. Don't you have to give him a deal? You are diabolical. man. But the Saints defense is like maybe playing at the highest level in the league right now is our close to it. And I really think he could get ugly for old Mitch. I don't know if you guys saw his passing chart, but it, I did. Yeah. It was a work of art. It was like one of the best passing (laughs) charts I've seen all season and not in a good way. I don't mean that in a good way, but yeah, the the best game I think is Titans Ravens just because of the storyline with Lamar and especially against that team, having lost last year in the playoffs. Uh, I think that's the game that's really going to set the tone for the AFC playoffs. If the Ravens are out after one round it's kind of like last year when the patriots got eliminated in the wild card round and that kind of changed everything in the playoffs what about you charles thoughts uh yeah that's uh not interested in that game at all uh mitch trubisky keep that i if, if it's right, <laughs> i won't be watching the second in that game uh <laughs> but i think the, the game i'm most interested to see is uh tennessee baltimore just because baltimore they're they're playing pretty well over the last like four or five games. Like I think if you just look at uh, Ben Baldwin's numbers uh, on his website, RBs don't matter or whatever it is, uh, and you, you you isolate the quarterback stats over the last like month uh, from week fourteen through seventeen, like Lamar Jackson's uh, top three quarterback in the league by uh, like EPA and completion percentage over expectation. Uh, he just he's playing really good football. They seem to have kind of figured out how to move the ball on offense based on just, just with the the personnel that they have available to them uh, right now. And it just kind of feels like this is you know there's always like one team every year in the playoffs where you're like oh you don't want to face them right now because they're getting hot and it's always some team on the road. And I think that that's the Ravens this year when you look at how Lamar's playing recently, how the offense is playing in general. And, uh, you know, the defense is still very good. I'm, I'm interested to see if Lamar can finally get over the hump and get that first uh, playoff win this year. And we get a rematch from the divisional round last year when Derrick Henry just went absolutely insane and ran over the Ravens defense. And, yeah, I, I just want to see if they can play that a little bit better than they did last time because I feel like that game was – it was it was there for the winning for them. They just were just super sloppy. And I, I think that, you know – I'm a little surprised that the Ravens are favored by four and a half, but I do think that they have that. Do, I do think they have a pretty good chance to win this game. Yeah, Stephen, you did a pretty uh, detailed breakdown of how exactly Dean Pease flummoxed the Ravens last year, uh, and you know we've been talking about it all season. That's an element that they, the, the Titans don't have. They don't. I mean, Pease was really good at figuring that out, uh, and I'm not sure that we've seen that the Titans are still 
at that level as far as game planning and really understanding because the Ravens offense is sort of last year it it had it, it sort of did the same thing for most of the year and it worked and then they ran into the Titans and the Titans had figured it out but the Ravens like Charles said like it really the offense did not come together until the last couple weeks uh, so whether or not there's really uh, a, a quote unquote blueprint for how to slow them down, I think is still an open question. So uh, we're going to dig into these games in our next show uh, that will drop on Thursday. We'll obviously go game by game and break down, you know, key matchups and, and schematically how we think things are going to unfold. Uh, so we'll really get in the weeds there and, and give details. You guys made your picks over at for the win ftw.usatoday.com. Uh, we have a post called NFL playoff bracket and predictions who will win Super Bowl uh, LV. What, what is that number? 55? 55. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. I just said 55. Um, sure. uh, uh, so you guys made your picks. I'm trying to. Did you guys vary at all in the first round? Oh, Charles picked. Uh, Charles picked the Browns, right? Yep, I did. In, in Controversial two, pick. I picked the other six seeds, so we both picked six seeds. I okay. picked the Rams, but I just found out that Jerichoff might not play next week, so it could be Wolford again. And now I'm even more confident about that pick. <laughs> <laughs> I added. Uh, I added that in your your post last night. By the way, that golf was still uh, th- that he could miss it due to injury. So. Uh, so it, it, it made it look like you already knew that if you read the post. That's um, what a so, good editor does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, you guys are uh, – th- these are interesting picks. Uh, you guys should check out because you guys picked the rest of the the rest of the playoffs too. I don't want to get into that yet. I, don't, I, I just want to fo- – I just want to live in the moment if, if I can yeah, and just focus, focus. More Nate's I felt talk. Yeah, more than, well, let's let's talk about what really matters here in the NFL right now. Uh, but you guys can check out these. Uh, there are there's some some analysis of why these picks were made the way they were made here. Uh, so do check out that post. Uh, another one that you guys dropped today. I, I love this post. Uh, this is something that you guys were working on for a while now. Uh, we put out our NFL awards post and. Uh, again, you can find this over at For the Win NFL Awards, picking the best and worst of the season from MVP to LVP. So you guys picked the least valuable player. Uh, there are this is a mix of sort of traditional standard NFL awards and then a couple that you guys made up on the fly and awarded out. Uh, so this is a really fun post. We're going to dig into each one of these, starting with most valuable player. And both of you went Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, you know, I, I think both it sort of came down for both of you that he's just there's he's just a level above any other player. He just does things that no one else can do. Um, what else? Like, how do you I guess what I wonder is to me, I feel like the vote like these the voting sort of runs towards sentimentality. And therefore, Aaron Rodgers, I think, has a little bit of a an edge uh but you guys obviously don't have to take that in consideration you're just saying this is the this is the guy who is most valuable to his team yeah i yeah i i fully think aaron Rodgers is gonna win i think the odds for him winning are like minus 2000 now and somehow josh allen has i think he's leapfrog patrick mahomes in the odds and i just don't get that at all 
like anything you could say about either of those two guys, you could say about Mahomes. And he's kind of like the combination of those two guys, how not only does he get the most out of the system that he's running, but he adds something extra to it like Josh Allen does for the Bills. And, I mean, you can make the weapons argument, but it's not like Aaron Rodgers is hurting for weapons. Like Devontae Adams, I don't think anyone's guarded him for like two months now. And the <laughs> offensive line is maybe the best in the league at pass blocking. I know they just lost lost uh, Bakhtari, but, right. you know, they had him for 15 and a half games or whatever. So, I, I mean, for me, it's just Mahomes. The tiebreaker for me is that he looks cooler doing it, and I think that, that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm on Mahomes just for the same reasons. Like, swag matters, and he's got more swag than uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh, man. Aaron Rodgers is going to call you. What's the show he does where he, like, talks to – uh, Pat McAfee. He's gonna it's like Pat McAfee and AJ Hawk is is like always smoking a cigar. Is that oh that's the cigar guy? Is AJ Hawk? I, I just called him cigar guy. I do, I How do you not cigar. know what AJ Hawk looks like? He's a very distinct looking person. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call him cigar guy, man. Uh, yeah, he's gonna call you guys out. To so. be fair, I don't know if AJ Hawk knows. <laughs> <laughs> I should not have said that. Uh, offensive player of the year. You guys diverged a little bit. Charles, uh, Stefan Diggs, the Bills, Steven, Deshaun Watson, the Texans. Explain your reasoning. Uh, I uh, I went with Stefan Diggs just because I I think this year he like might have put himself down as maybe the best receiver in the NFL. Uh, and I think that just really how dominant he was all season long was. Uh, one of the more impressive things I saw in the NFL this year. Uh, I thought that, you know, he, he played such a big role in Josh Allen improving this year because he, he gives you such a wider margin error for play, not only with uh, the route running and getting open versus like literally all types of coverage, but it's also stuff after the catch. It's the catch radius, contested catch ability. I mean, he really does everything that you want from an elite receiver. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, it was tough because, you know, I, I kind of played around with the idea of picking Watson, uh, Diggs, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. I mean, there are a lot of uh, uh, a, a lot of good uh, options to pick from this year. But, you know, we just look at with Stefan Diggs and what he meant to that Bills offense and how much he opened things up for uh, Josh Allen and helped him improve. I, I think that uh that kind of pushed Diggs over the top for me. We need 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns, 127 passes, and it, it, it was consistent production all throughout the year. It didn't really matter who was guarding him, he was going to get open. And uh, I think that he just had a really, really special season. Yeah, if you were to treat the award as like the best non quarterback, then I think Stefan Diggs is like a great pick. And right. I think it was Bill Belichick last week, he was talking, I think he was asked about Josh Allen's improvement. and Bill was kind of like, ah, he's mostly the same player, just like everything around him <laughs> is better. Right. And the thing that has changed since last year was Stefan Diggs. So I think he's had a lot to do with it being better this year. So I would agree with Chuck's pick there. But I just wanted to pick Deshaun Watson because I, I feel like he deserves some recognition for everything he's done this year. And he really hasn't gotten it because the Texans are just a terrible team. And we saw it again yesterday. He like willed his team to overtime. It seemed like with, I think there was 20 seconds left. And then the Texans just give up a long pass to AJ Brown that sets up the game winning field goal. And I'm telling you, that's what it's been every week where Deshaun is just dragging this team to competitiveness. And then at the last second, someone else blows it. 
this team could have easily won eight games if they didn't screw things up around Deshaun Watson. And that that's even without taking into uh, account Bill O'Brien's bad roster management. So for me, it was just about giving recognition to Deshaun Watson, who I think was arguably the third best quarterback in the league in 2020. Yeah, no question. Uh, I, I love that Belichick anecdote, by the way, because he does that like routinely where he just completely eviscerates a player, but he does it in his monotone way and no one realizes it. Like he basically just like, uh, yeah, well, the thing is, you know, and like everyone, they miss it. The fact that he like just he, he made more of a an argument destroying Josh Allen than you ever have. And you like you set out to do it on a, on a regular basis. But uh, yeah, both these guys, I mean, if you're talking about elevating a team like uh, it's it's hard to see Watson elevating the Texans because they still remain so bad. But uh, like you you've joked several times, they would have had negative uh, wins if they did not have Deshaun Watson. Like they probably would have had to give up at like week twelve, just just left the league uh, without. Can you Watson. imagine AJ McCarron starting? <laughs> no, I cannot. I. How does that team win a game? Like, do they win? Are they even competitive? Are they worse than the Jets? I think so. Yeah, no question. I don't think there's any question. Uh, Defensive player of the year. Charles went with Aaron Donald and Steven went with TJ Watt. Yeah, I was just, I just kind of went with the laziest possible possible answer (laughs) and uh, went with uh, Aaron Donald. I mean, what? I feel I feel like any year you can just kind of pick Aaron Donald and that will be okay for you. But this year, like he was so good again. Uh, the tackles for loss were a little bit down, but like he's still getting in the backfield whenever he wants. He he had thirteen and a half sacks. He uh, paved the way for yet another like mediocre former first round edge rusher to get a huge offseason deal with Leonard Floyd getting ten and a half sacks this year after Dante Fowler got uh, I think eleven sacks last year. Uh, I mean, the guy is just completely unstoppable. Uh, pretty much by himself, he can lead uh, like a top five or top ten pass rush unit, and that's just such a rare thing to say about a defensive tackle. Like, where you, it doesn't matter who the other three players you put around him are. Like, just based off his presence, they're going to be productive pass rushers in their own right. And uh, you know. Like I think that Brandon Staley has gotten, you know, obviously gotten a lot of uh, praise this year and deservedly so. But like none of that happens without having a bomb at three technique every single play, which is basically what Donald is. And uh, I just thought he had another year worthy of winning defensive play of the year award. So uh, I handed it to him. Yeah, I didn't put in like much work i just like sorted the grades on pff big tj watt but i think it is rotor fatigue like i mean aaron donald like you said aaron donald could and probably should win it every year it's like bill belichick with coach of the year but tj watt was just so good at everything the steelers asked him to do and they gave him like the opportunity to freelance and blitz different gaps based on what he was seeing pre-snap so i just thought he was such a unique player and had such a unique role this year in one of the best defenses in the league. That's the only reason I picked him over Donald, but I'm fully expecting Donald to win the award this year. Uh, offensive rookie of the year. Charles went with Justin Jefferson of the Vikings and Steven picked Justin Herbert of the Chargers. Great year for Justin's. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just picked Herbert because of, you know, quarterback right. value and, Jefferson is a better receiver than Herbert is a quarterback, but it's just so hard to come in as a rookie and play as well as Herbert did. And 
I mean, I think the expectations and how low they were for him coming into the year and that team just based on the coaching staff and how they bungle games all the time. But, I mean, this was like a top five rookie season by some advanced metrics, and I, I, I just think that's too hard to overlook. Yeah, at the, I, I was stuck between Herbert and Jefferson, and I, I, I went with Jefferson just because I felt like the record that he broke this year is a little bit more impressive. I mean, you're talking about a record that hasn't been broken since 2003 when Anquan Bolden was a rookie. Uh, he had 1,400 receiving yards this year. And, you know, I think that they both, Herbert and Jefferson, kind of just tore the doors down off the expectations and projections that were there for them. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like when you're talking about breaking a, a record that's been there for almost 20 years now, I thought that that was pretty impressive. So I just rolled with uh, Justin Jefferson. And, you know, I, I think I still think that people, you know, they're like new age, newer Vikings fans that say that that was more impressive than Randy Moss's rookie season. I think you need to go back and just go on YouTube. And watch <laughs> just go watch those three plays in the Cowboys game. Right. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. no, Randy's one of one. And Justin Jefferson's obviously very good and a lot better than I think a lot of people thought he was. Uh, and he's right. well on his way towards being the best receiver, one of the best receivers in the NFL. But uh, he's not Randy. Not this this is a nice little endorsement for our coming uh, draft coverage. I was low on both yeah. we just named. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we had Jefferson at eighth uh, from the wide receivers. What did he do? Like, like what did what did you not see on film that it, as, as a college player that he did this year, Stephen? Like, wow, how did he make the leap? Because we've talked about that with Herbert, right? Like, you did a whole post basically saying, like, yeah, he didn't he failed to do these things in college and he obviously learned how to do them. And that's why he's good now. Uh, is there something like that with Jefferson? What 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 allowed him to be to be better than you projected it? I mean, I think I wrote this at the time, like Jefferson was just a tough evaluation for me because he was in that offense in LSU. And like you saw him, he was just playing in the slot. He never had to deal with press coverage. He was like given free releases all the time. And I thought just how he, he ran routes, he was like a little upright, upright. And I thought that might be a problem in the NFL. But like within a couple of weeks, when he was dealing with more press coverage, you could see that he had no problem dealing with it. So for me, it was just like not seeing something on film. I didn't, I thought he was a good player and I thought he was going to be a good player. Like I, I, I might've ranked him eighth, but there was like 10 great receiving prospects in this draft. So it's not as bad as it sounds, but I think it was just, I did, I just didn't see it and it's not his fault. Right. Uh, defensive rookie of the year, Chase Young. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, do we even need to say anything more? <laughs> no, uh, just, dude, just go watch, uh, I guess the game from last night, literally any game over like the past yeah. six, seven weeks and you'll get it. Yeah. I mean, he was just, just an instant impact player. Uh, he did what he did for that line. What Bosa did for the 49ers line where there was like a bunch of talent on it and you could see it and it was first round talent but it was underachieving and then when he was added to the mix like it just took off and that's what that defensive line has been this year yep yeah uh, comeback player of the year Charles went with Alex Smith Boo. quarterback for the Washington <laughs> football team Steven went with Trent Williams the left tackle for the 49ers uh, go ahead guys I can't uh, believe I had to defend the offensive lineman well, Charles, yeah. Yeah. some some freak show. Uh, that's bad. <laughs> I call them that. That's, that's a little hard. But you know what I mean. Like it's the it's like the sideshow aspect with him. It's not like he was a good player this year. He was barely better than Dwayne Haskins. 
Oh, I mean, I, th- I mean, I thought Alex Smith was awful, but just the fact like that he was able to play was just uh, insane. Because I mean, we, we all saw pictures of his leg in the documentary, and I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think I would want to play football again after that. I mean, I probably would take my money, and people would never hear from me again. But <laughs> yeah, he uh, he went back out there and was like a starting level quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I guess one of the top 35 quarterbacks to start a game this season, which I think is pretty impressive based on the fact that his leg was, like, literally in pieces. And, and I didn't give it any much more thought than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, he's going to win the award going away. But I just, like, resented the fact that Teddy Bridgewater got no consideration when he came back. And Trent Williams had a cancerous growth removed from his head. Like, it's yeah. not like if we're comparing notes here, like – I mean, he's right there with Alex Smith. He got something removed from his head. And <laughs> he came back, and he, he was like one of the better left tackles in the league. So I think we should reward good play and not just the best rehabber. <laughs> the best It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, Coach of the year, both of you guys picked Kevin Stefanski of the Browns. Yeah, I mean, he got the Browns back to the playoffs uh, for the first time in 20 years. Um, and that offense, like they look like a real team this year. Um, and like they, they had the offense, they had the the talent offense to do that last year, but obviously the the orchestrating by Freddie Kitchens was not anywhere close to good enough. And this year, it kind of turned itself around, and that's uh, I think that's that's really impressive. And the fact that he was able to get the most out of all those playmakers was was a, a great job by Stefanski. And I, I, that's all really boils down to me. Like, you got the Browns to look like a respectable football team. That's amazing. Yeah, like, Flores was the other guy I considered. And if it was, like, a two-year award, like, the work he's done over the last two years, I think he deserves it. But just the fact that they missed the playoffs and the Browns made it and what Stefanski was able to do for Baker Mayfield, he's probably going to get a big contract in the offseason now because of Stefanski. I think that just you know, pushes it in his favor. Uh, offensive coordinator of the year. Charles went with Arthur Smith of the Titans and Stephen picked Brian Dable of the Bills. Yeah, I have no problem with I, I mean, I'm very strong on Dayball just because, like, it's been the most interesting offense over the last month and a half, and he's had to take this flawed quarterback and turn him into – he, he didn't just make him good. He made him one of the best quarterbacks in the league, at least statistically. Right. And he's done it while putting Stefan Diggs into his offense. And I know, like, Stefan Diggs is maybe the best receiver in the league, like we said earlier, but it still takes some work to get the most out of a guy like that. Like, we're seeing the opposite – or not the opposite, but we're seeing that in Arizona where Cliff isn't necessarily getting the most out of DeAndre Hopkins, who's right there with Stefan Diggs. But, I mean, anything you can say about Dayball and what he's done for Josh Allen, you could say about Smith and Ryan. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just wanted to Smith because, dude, like Ryan Tannehill is leading an offense that over the past five games or so is averaging almost 40 points a game, which is just absolutely nuts. I, I just think when you look at the coordination of everything that Tennessee does, it, it, it's got all the – you know, all the stuff that, that I guess we as analysts like look at in terms of like the outside zone, the play action, and how all of that's married together. But it also, it's just 
the way that every single player is just maximized to like the best of their ability. Like I think that an underrated thing in terms of NFL coaching and coaching in general is just being able to find uh, find a spot for a guy where you're not asking him to do things he can't do. And I think that that's something Arthur Smith has done really well. Like just perfectly crafted roles for AJ Brown, Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, Derrick Henry. Like all these guys are being asked to do things that they're really good at. And you know, you, you kind of see the benefits of just whittling down your your team to doing what your players are good at, and uh, that, that's something that's been really impressive to me for Arthur Smith. So that's why I went with him for offensive coordinator of the year. Uh, defensive coordinator of the year, Charles went with Keith Butler of the Steelers, and Stephen went with Brandon Staley of the Rams. Uh, one sort of guy who's Butler's been. Uh, not really talked about for a long time. In fact, there are very few pictures of him. I went to try to find pictures and like photographers must not know uh, who he is because they don't take many pictures. Whereas Brandon Staley, as far as defensive coordinator goes, he he uh, became a little famous this year. Uh, well, so sort does, of, does Keith Butler know Sean McVay? <laughs> I think that that may have been where he went wrong. He, he forgot to meet Sean McVay. I have no idea what Keith Butler looks like. I I don't even know what race he, <laughs> he is. Look, he looks like, he looks exactly like you would expect the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive coordinator to look like. He's just like a uh, he's like a, a Pittsburgh looking guy. Uh, he just is. Yeah, I want I Keith Butler because uh, mainly because I've I just find the Steelers defense to be more interesting to watch than the other defenses. Uh, and that was really the only thing I went with. Like it's, uh, I just kind of looked at the the top defenses. Like, which one do I enjoy watching the most? And I like the chaos that Pittsburgh plays with, and uh, how they use Mika Fitzpatrick as a chess piece, and how they use CJ Watt as a chess piece in the front seven. And uh, I picked them because that was fun to watch for me. Now I feel like such a nerd for picking Brandon Staley. <laughs> My reasoning is like, oh, he like defended the run with fewer numbers, and he had more resources than the pass. Instead of just being like a guy, a, a film grinder, who's just like, yeah, this was more, this was f- cooler and it was more fun to watch. That's it, probably the better approach, to be honest. Because <laughs> one, these awards we, are made up. <laughs> that's, why we add, that's why we added Charles to the show, man. So he, he wanted somebody who would pick cool stuff rather than uh, purely <laughs> rational. This is the first time Keith Butler has been described as cool. I can tell just based off of looking up a picture of him. Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't know what he was look what he looked like until I uh, was writing this, and I had to Google him. And, uh, and he was honestly he he looks just like you expect the Steelers defensive coordinator to look. Yeah, like, exactly. Kind of a, a scruffy, angry looking white guy. You know. Yep, that's him. Uh, this category, I I'm still getting over this. Charles picked Quinn and Williams, the Jets. Uh, I was not super surprised by that. Charles had an up up close view of of Quinn and Williams getting better. Uh, Steven picked Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I had to. I had to pick Josh Allen. You're, I mean, you're saying here you're taking the L on this one. Uh, but, I mean, this was uh, – how this is, this is years in the making where Steven's been writing about Allen's deficiencies. And, and you did – when he was really good early in the season, you did admit, like, hey, he's improved at these things. So it's not – I shouldn't over uh, – overemphasize the, the fact that you downplayed Allen other times. You you were very clear that you thought he had improved this year, but uh, most improved is that's, that's some high praise. What did, what exactly did he do that, that made, uh, made you give this, this award here? What, what, I mean, he's, he's more accurate than I ever thought he could be. 
and that right. that right there is enough to to earn the award. And I feel like I've already said too many nice things about the Bills, right? <laughs> so I'm just going to end it there. And I'm just going to point out the fact that a Bills fan has never tweeted or posted on Facebook about a, a Bills playoff win because those websites didn't exist the last Ooh. time. Ooh. All right. Went there. Uh, Charles, tell me about Quentin Williams. Uh, he's really good. I. Uh, Towards the end of the season, he was like legit playing as one of the best defense tackles in the league, and uh, his run defense has always been pretty good. He got him uh, league last year, but he kind of took it up to another level. And I thought the one impressive thing that happened for him this year, like really throughout the season, he's, he got better at pass rushing. It seemed like every week he was just getting a little more comfortable in terms of you know hitting his pass rush moves and figuring out what kind of worked for him and how to beat different blocks that were being uh, put in front of him. And, and he got really, really good at that. And like by the end of the season, yeah, he had, I thought that he was just like legitimately one of the best defensive tackles in the league. And uh, it was just kind of nice for him to see that potential be actualized because last year as a rookie, he didn't really do all that much in terms of generating explosive plays in the backfield. But this year was a lot cleaner for him. Uh, and, I thought that it really showed, especially in the late portions of the season. And uh, if, you know, if these things keep getting better for him and, and the progression stays on the line, then uh, we're going to be talking about him as like maybe not Aaron Donald could, but like in that tier, like right below him. And I think that that's a pretty good outcome for him. So I was, I, I was going to ask like, and I guess you just kind of got at it, but like if you had to compare him to another more well-known interior defensive lineman in terms of impact. It doesn't even have to be playing style, just how he impacts the game. Like, who would that be? Probably, I mean, it's going to be like Falcon-centric because I watched him most recently, but probably Grady Jarrett. Just like, you know, like especially towards the end of the season, not not Aaron Donald where it's every play you got to devote three guys, but Mm -hmm. uh, he's going to get back there and and cause some havoc. And, uh, you know, just like the athleticism is really popping off the screen for him right now. Uh, Especially, I put a clip in there. Uh, against the Rams. That was the last game he played before he, I think he had a neck injury that had to sit out the rest of the season. Um, and you just see him just blow by guys in the interior and get through for a sack. And that's the stuff that kind of gets you excited for him next year. All right. Uh, now we're getting into the uh, the really fun stuff, the, the, the awards that you guys made up and uh, sort of digging into the game and, uh, picking out plays that that resonated uh, for for good and bad reasons, uh, but let's start with a good one. Einstein in game adjustment of the year. This is you guys pointing out something that a coach did that you thought really made an impact. And Charles, I, I loved yours. I remember when you uh, tweeted about it, hoping that we would get get a chance to to address it at some point. And here it is on the site. Uh, this is Ravens. Uh, using Orlando Brown, who started the season as the right tackle, eventually had to move to left tackle due to injury. But uh, on this particular drive, they just sort of lined him up wherever they wanted to run the ball, and and it worked. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was the second quarter against the Colts. Um, and th- this this was a game like where the Ravens' offense kind of started to come together a little bit, and I uh, I just thought it was such a cool thing because I remember I was watching the game and. Uh, you know, I, I see Orlando Brown is kind of flip flopping all over the offensive line. Like he was at, like as we're watching, he's a left tackle, then he's a right tackle. Then they use him as 
like on a, a overload set as like the extra tackle and literally they're just running behind him on every single play which kind of makes sense because you had lost ronnie stanley to injury marshall yonda retired uh some of the guys that you drafted recently to maybe replace those guys or, or step in when they needed help weren't really living up to expectations and they were just kind of like screw it we got Orlando Brown, and that's about it. And we're just going to line it up and run behind him. And I just thought it was kind of cool because, you know, I remember when I was playing football a lot, uh, our coaches would be like, you know, they can know it's coming, but they still have to stop it. And that's what the Ravens did here. You know, we're not going to hide if we put Orlando Brown on the left, we're running behind him. If we're putting him on the right, we're running behind him. If we're putting him out on the edge, guess what? We're running behind him again. And uh, I just thought to see that and see kind of like the – the innovation caused by the desperation of offensive line injuries and retirements was, was cool to see in game. And I guess when you got, you got Lamar Jackson, you just get one guy who, you know, can block in front of him. And maybe you can make something happen and they end up scoring a touchdown on that drive. Steven, you picked the uh, Cardinals Dolphins game of week nine that uh, you did a larger breakdown of, but uh, really it was just the, the back and forth uh, for both coaches, really, for, you know, just how this game unfolded that, that stuck with you, right? Yeah. And it was really the only time all season where I started to have some faith in Cliffs Kingsbury, but like <laughs> that went away within like a week, but that was the game after the Dolphins just blitzed the hell out of Jared Goff and just made him crap his pants. And that's kind of how they started out the game. The, the Dolphins, they were doing, sending the same blitzes at the Cardinals and Cliff just found some, I don't know if it was Cliff or maybe it was the, the offensive line coach, but they figured out a way to like kind of break that that blitz where they were kind of reading the, the slide of the protections and they found a way to to block it up and that gave them enough time to beat the Dolphins over the top for a long touchdown. But then the Dolphins eventually adjusted and it was just like this great back and forth, like all game. And for me, it was the, the most interesting game from an X's and O's perspective. Yeah. Uh, worst game of the year. No surprise, Charles. Game. It was a Jets game. Uh, Dolphins, Dolphins versus Jets, week six. Uh, how did you pick like one worst Jets game? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking back to like which game. Like I have, I have a notebook of like stuff that I would write down during the games, and right. I, I, I just kind of went back and looked like which game that I have the least written about and that <laughs> I thought was, it would be like which game did you write like help me, <laughs> no, me? I, I knew if there was a game like where I just kind of checked out and stopped writing notes by like the second quarter that was one that I would use and that's probably uh <laughs> That's probably the game where I checked out the earliest because so the Dolphins won 24 to nothing against the Jets and it was just an awful game to watch like Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't play all that well uh that was I think that was the game before Tua uh, got put into the lineup for him where he was upset and like, come on. Uh, he, he he led an offense that didn't get a third down conversion uh, up until Tua came in with two minutes left. Uh, you know, they, they weren't very good in the red zone. They kicked some field goals. They went like an entire, they went the entire second half with just scoring uh, three points. But the Jets were just so bad on the other side that it didn't matter how sloppy the Dolphins were. Like the Dolphins played, I thought the Dolphins on offense, especially, they played like a C plus, B minus game and they still won 24 to nothing. The Joe Flacco <laughs> threw the ball almost 50 times and didn't get. 
200 yards. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it was just awful. And like, I, I had moments during that season where, you know, I think the worst, I think one of the worst games was the Jets versus the Bills where the Jets had uh, four yards in the entire second half, which <laughs> was impressive by itself. But there's just something about watching a team lose 24 to nothing and the team that is giving them like the beating down isn't playing well in themselves. Uh, and that's why I won't think it's the worst, the worst game of the season. Uh, Steven, uh, you went with Saints Broncos. This was, uh, this was the game where the Broncos entire QB room was deemed to have been a close contact, uh, to COVID and there, thereby had to sit out. Uh, and to our surprise, they played a, uh, a scout team wide receiver quarterback and uh, he was not as he, he was almost as good as Drew Locke, but not quite there. <laughs> how it happened, right? That was, right. That, I mean, I could barely tell the difference, but <laughs> no, but I couldn't. You couldn't really tell the difference between him and Taysom Hill based on how <laughs> the coaches were using them. Like the Saints were babying Taysom Hill, like only play action passes, like right, like r- right beyond the line of scrimmage. And meanwhile. Kendall Hinton was like <laughs> chucking it downfield every day, and I, it made no sense. But the game was just horrible to watch, and I actually watched this game just because I was like, just like as a sick NFL fan, I just wanted to see what this game would look like, and it it was as bad as everyone expected it to be, and maybe even worse because I think Hinton only completed one pass, and that was like a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he was he was one for nine. So uh, poor guy stood no chance. Worst play of the year, uh, Charles. The, he, he didn't stick with the Jets here. He went to the Giants, and he has the Giants running an RPO, uh, but none of the wide receivers seem to know it's an RPO. Uh, they, they are they are clearly playing a uh, a run only, and it's hilarious. This I I have watched this clip like twelve times just because. Yeah, uh, it's I remember. East, yeah, I remember watching that game and. <laughs> I remember at first I was watching it and, you know, when you watch the broadcast angle, you can't really see everything that's going on down the field. So I see, you know, Daniel Jones get the snap, uh, does a play fake to Devonta Freeman and then just kind of sits back there and gets sacked. <laughs> I'm like, yo, I was like, and at first, like your initial reaction, especially when someone who gets sacked as much as Daniel Jones is like, man, come on. Like you got to throw the ball there a little bit and uh, let's keep this thing going. But then they showed like the other angle of they they showed, they showed the other angle of what happened, and <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, everyone knows that it's a pass play. Everyone knows it's about to be a pass play, literally, except the receivers, and they all started to block downfield. So when Daniel Jones gets a snap and he does a play fake and he's looking for someone to throw to, everyone has their back turned turned toward them and they try to block someone downfield. And Devonta Freeman's blocking, the offensive line's blocking, so it's literally a no-man RPO, and Daniel Jones got sacked. And it's one of the funniest plays that you'll see. Yeah, well, I really want to turn it into, like, a, a recurring meme for someone who just feels very alone. Like, the split <laughs> second where Daniel Jones realizes that all none of his wide receivers are looking at him, and he is just, like, ba- about to get tackled like that. <laughs> That it's just an entire mood, as they say. Uh, I, prefer, I prefer to to stick with the broadcast angle and just uh, just pretend like <laughs> Daniel Jones found a way to take a sack on a run play. <laughs> he just freezes. I'm surprised he didn't fumble. Like, how did he not fumble? <laughs> he would have been 
I don't know. I would have. Honestly, I'm surprised he didn't panic worse than he did. Because honestly, in any quarterback in that situation, if you just freaked out, yeah. I would. I wouldn't even blame you, dude. Who, we should like power rank the the quarterbacks in that situation. Like, who would be the best? <laughs> Probably Lamar. Maybe Kyler. Yeah. But like, can you imagine Joe Flacco in the same? Oh, well, I guess we're about to. Yeah, we. We have to get to that. Yeah. Uh, Steven, you picked the uh, Raiders last minute TD to beat the Jets. This one that uh, has been broken down ad nauseum. Yeah, I don't think we need to go over Yeah, <laughs> this uh, the zero coverage uh, call there. Talked about a lot. Uh, funniest play of the year, Joe Flacco's sack against the Dolphins. This is Charles' pick. Yeah, but I have to go back to that awful game. Uh, <laughs> 24 to nothing, Dolphins went over the Jets, and like Joe Flacco took a 28-yard sack in that game, which was – I don't even know how to describe it, but, like, I was watching it. I remember I was watching live, and I'm like, yo, no, stop, Joe. Like, it's like, <laughs> stop, 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 stop. And it, just, it all just happened so fast. Like, he took the snap, and like, two seconds later, he's 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then he got thrown back, like, another five yards. And, uh yeah, taking a 30-yard sack is always bad, but there's just something that was just, like, so futile at the end of it. Like, it wasn't even cool like Patrick Mahomes where you think that something, maybe something crazy at the end of it can happen before he gets sacked. You just know as soon as he starts going back, yep, he's getting sacked, and this is going to be bad. But, uh, yeah, I think that was uh, the funniest play of the year for me. Wait, was this longer than the Patrick Mahomes sack? Remember, he took a sack against the Dolphins. That was, like, ridiculous. Yeah, Actually, like two, it was actually 30 yards, I think. Yeah, but the Flacco was 28 yards, but it, it just looked more just like lay down yeah. and die. Just, and yeah. the conversion rate there is like, it's like a really like a 50 yard sack because at least Mahomes had a chance. Like you still, like you said, you thought <laughs> Mahomes had a chance to turn it around. But with Flacco, it, like the further he went back, just like the worse it got. Yeah. Uh, that's Joe Flacco, man. It, it, wasn't his nickname Joe Cool early in his career? I think so. I Am I remembering that correctly? Anyway, this guy made $167 million. Uh, so uh, so I've, yeah, I've seen, I'm, in a, I'm in a closet right now talking about it. So I'm yeah, really I've, I've seen him at the play, the local playground uh, near me, and he seems pretty relaxed. But, you know, he seems to be doing okay uh, just, just in life. So it's okay if we make fun of him for one play. Uh, what was your pick, Stephen? You, you. Oh, J- uh, Jared Goff interception uh, from from just a week ago. Yeah, this might be some recency bias, but legitimately the worst pass I've seen from an actual starting quarterback. Like I think Taysom Hill threw a worse pass in his first start against the Falcons, but I've never seen a quarterback miss such a short throw by so many yards. It's like a he's trying to make a five like a five to seven yard throw to Robert Woods on the run. And he airmails it by like ten yards and throws it to a throws it to a safety that wasn't even in the play. And it reminded me of I don't even know when this play happened. It might have been like 2015, but Matt Castle threw an interception and got flagged for intentional grounding on the same play. Like there was no receiver around the defender he threw the ball to. And I think this might be a worse interception than that. Do you feel bad at all though? Because Jared Goff may have had a broken right thumb when he threw that ball. No, just, not at all. Just, no. just throwing it out there. No. no. All right. All right. All right. If anything, I feel even better about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, EPA darling of the year. Uh, so this is basically one where uh, the guy who sort of stealthily was 
very efficient and maybe didn't get the notice that uh, that other players did. And Charles went with Darren Waller and Darren Waller of the Raiders. Yeah, I was just kind of surprised that you just look at sports or yeah, sports info solutions EPA numbers. Uh, he was like the tenth most valuable receiver in the league, not just among tight ends, but among everybody. Uh, and that was a little bit surprising to me just because like I watched him play and obviously he's an excellent player, but just kind of putting it in the context of every receiver in the league, at least through like week 16 when the numbers have been updated by, he was a uh, top 10 receiver in the league. I mean, the guy is just absolutely dominant when you watch him on film and just read about his story and the addiction issues he had to overcome. I thought, uh, it right. just kind of it kind of wraps everything into uh, just a, a pretty pretty cool story uh, for the season and and getting to put a number on really how down he was beyond you know almost twelve hundred yards and nine touchdowns and uh, seeing how efficient he was and how much he meant to the offense was was kind of cool so uh, yeah I'm with him for uh, EPA darling of the year. Stephen went with Ryan Tannehill of the Titans. Yeah, like I took a cynical approach to this. I I interpreted <laughs> it as like the guy that stat nerds think is good, but isn't really that good. Although I think Tannehill is like a top 15 quarterback, probably. He's just not a top five quarterback. And I say this a lot on this podcast, but like you watch him every week and it's just not impressive at all. Like they, he makes a couple, he makes like three good throws a game. But then you look at the stat line and he's got like 400 yards and five touchdowns. And you're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we we did that pretty much each and every episode here. Is <laughs> you saying what the hell happened uh, with Ryan Tannehill? Uh, least valuable player of the year. Charles went with Dante Fowler. Stephen went with Carson Wentz. I feel Charles. like that was a personal pick for Charles. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> Personally offended uh, by that. I I I just feel like if you would watch a Falcons game and someone told you that they had like a top 20 edge defender in terms of average money on their team, you would have no idea by watching them. And that was where I went for this pick. I mean, Fowler, he, he said that he was dealing with some injuries this year, but Raheem Morris basically called him out. I think last week and said that this season wasn't nearly good enough uh, in terms of its output. And I don't see how, anyone can even begin to argue that he was paid $15 million a year to come in and really be like the edge presence that they thought that they had in Vic Beasley, which they never really actually had. And they were trying to fill that void with Nate Fowler. And he came in and was like, honestly kind of worse than Vic Beasley was uh, just didn't really give me anything against the run or the pass and for how much money he was getting paid. Uh, you know, that's obviously a, a pretty big whiff, and that's why he's my least valuable player of the year. But it's definitely a little personal. <laughs> I can't wait to see how much money the uh, Falcons throw at Leonard Floyd next offseason. <laughs> my favorite. Oh, God. Uh, luckily, they, luckily, they don't have any, so I'm not worried about that. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> uh, I think Carson Wentz just because of what he did to the Eagles organization. Like, the outlook before the season, it wasn't, like, bright, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it was now. Right. And he made a lot of money. So I don't like I felt bad about piling on a little more on him. But then I realized he made like thirty six million dollars in cash last year and or in twenty twenty. So he had a pretty good year financially. And I don't think he earned that money. I think that's safe to say, like you look at he 
was dead last in EPA, total EPA of any quarterback, minus 99 EPA, according to Sports Info Solutions. Like, that's worse than anyone you can name. Dwayne Haskins, worse than Dwayne Haskins. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with other bad quarterbacks. Drew Locke, worse than him. And he gets paid a lot of money, so that's my least valuable pick. I, I don't see how anyone could argue against it. I think if Jalen Hurts played the whole season, the Eagles might have won that crappy division. Yeah, uh, I think that's safe to say. Uh, what happens next with the with? I mean, apparently Wentz is maybe demanding a trade. Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson are claiming that they don't know where that's coming from. Uh, I, I mean, it, we've gone over the scenarios before, and and the Eagles. Uh, the team that gets Wentz, it's not a it's not a horrible cap hit if Wentz can be not as bad as he was this year. Uh, if he can sort of get to back to the player he was, uh, it's not that bad. But the Eagles take on a bunch of dead cap and are p- probably not going to get anything. But it seems like maybe that's just where where things stand at this point is that the divorce needs to happen, whatever whatever the ramifications might be. Yeah, and like the salary cap is fake. I know they have a lot of problems, but I think they'll be able to navigate it. We we have the same worries about the Steelers getting rid of Antonio Brown. Obviously, a receiver is different from a quarterback, but they had to eat a bunch of dead money, and they were fine. They made the playoffs two years later. They were the last undefeated team. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Just get rid of them and start over. You have to anyway. All right. Uh, all right, best play design of the year. This is a fun one. Charles went with uh, one from the Chiefs versus Panthers week nine. Why don't you take us through what you saw here, Charles? Uh, it's a play where basically Patrick Mahomes was put in motion. Uh, where at the snap, he's like walking away from where he should be to catch it, and then he runs back and catches it. At the snap, uh, like runs left with the ball before pivoting back and turning right and throwing a laser to the back of the end zone. I thought that it was kind of cool because uh, you see the linebackers just get so confused at the start of the snap where when Mahomes is, he's running left at, as a ball snap, the linebackers, like they sprint out to mirror that, like it's going to be a sprint out to the left and then he pivots right and comes back around and there's just so much free space for him to throw to. Uh, and yeah, like I, I feel like when you're putting together plays, and you're talking about play action. No one ever thinks about quarterback action or, or motion or stuff like that. And to see them actually put it together in a game and score a touchdown off of it was uh, pretty impressive. I, I just thought, like, what it did to the linebackers and the safeties where you are getting your rules changed, like, two times in a matter of a second uh, before they score a touchdown on you is, is just kind of diabolical and cool. Uh, Steven, you went with a, a play in the Jags Colts week one game, but not because of how it turned out in that uh, particular instance, but the fact that Brian Dable of the Bills later stole it. Uh, so you're just you're just showing off how much film you watch at this point, I think. Uh, but you, you noticed it being used later in the season and really admired that. Uh, I, I kind of just like searched on uh, Twitter for a cool play design. And I found <laughs> And those two happen to pop up, and I like, wait, those are the same play. So, actually, no, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's how little I got into film grinding. But it's like, a, it's, I feel like there's two ways to attack it. You could either like do the more creative play, which is, if that's what you're looking for, I think the Chiefs answer is the right one. But this one is more of like a real concept that I think other teams could use. I don't think any other team could use that design that the Chiefs use with Mahomes. And I just think it's a cool play that like involves everything that, that, 
like Chuck said earlier, like everything that analysts want to see, like pre-snap motion, play action. They ran a, a wheel route with the guy in jet motion and set a pick for him at the same time. It was just a great play and it like led to easy completions for both guys. For the Bills, it was an easy touchdown. But the fact that they were able to do it, I think it was Isaiah McKenzie that did it, without like a top talent just makes the play look even better. Yeah. Uh, all right. Those are the awards uh, for the year. Really, really enjoyed those, you guys. Thanks for doing that. Uh, let's uh, let's just take like three minutes to go through the Black Monday scenario here. Uh, we've already we've already gone quite long on the counter here today, but uh, today is the day where coaches a lot usually coaches a lot of coaches find out their fate. Um, this year, a couple had been cut during the season, so there was not maybe as much drama. We all expected Adam Gase of the Jets, Doug Marone of the Jaguars, and Anthony Lynn of the Chargers to get fired, and that, in fact, did happen um, today. I guess Gase was last night. Marone and Lynn have been uh, announced this morning. Uh, so that leaves six open jobs, which is uh, a, a pretty... Uh, you know, pretty sizable chunk of the league. The Detroit Lions, the Atlanta Falcons, Houston Texans, Jets, Jags, and Chargers uh, are the openings right now. Uh, throw throw out some matches for me here, guys. Like, what what are some? Uh, you know, we know who a lot of the uh, potential replacements are. You know, those names are floating out there. But what which connections make sense to you? Uh, I want. I'll say one first. I want B enemy and Justin Herbert to be matched up with each other. Like, I feel like if anyone could match Mahomes' arm talent of the people, mm. that, of the quarterbacks that are on these teams, I think right. it's Justin Herbert. Like, Deshaun Watson is by far the best quarterback, but I do think that Herbert's skill set matches what B enemy does more. Interesting. Charles, what about you? Any, any, pairings that you hope to see um honestly like there aren't many that i'm just like dying to see um i'm i I would just like to see you know the jets and the charters kind of figure out just someone to make them look like legit football teams again i think that that's (laughs) something uh that they're kind of struggling with but in terms of like actual coaches to to fits um i'm i don't really have a a big one for me who who would you pick if you could handpick the falcons coach um i mean the enemy is pretty good uh i'd be cool like the enemy dabble arthur smith like any of those three. Oh, so offense only yep no defense we've had <laughs> you know almost 15 years of defensive guys like <laughs> that uh, one of the league's three black coaches, uh, Lynn, was was fired. How many of these jobs do you think will go to black coaches? You mentioned Eric Bieniemy. It seems like he is definitely going to get this one this get one this year. Uh, but but also how how fair is the process going to be? There's already reports out there that the Jags are that Urban Meyer expects to get the Jags job, uh, which would you know be just wildly flaunting the, the Rooney rule. If, if that has already been that report actually came out before Marone had even officially been fired, which means there's no way for the Jags to actually 
do a real interview with the minority candidate. Uh, but how, I mean, how fair do we think this is going to be? There was, there was that, the rule uh, that was proposed before the season that would have rewarded teams for developing minority candidates with draft picks. Uh, and it was uh, eventually shot down. But so we're sort of still status quo is, you know, hoping that the Rooney rule works. How much faith do you guys have that it will bear out that way? Uh, none. <laughs> Absolutely none. No. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that. I mean, on both sides, I feel like there's not a lot of uh, happiness about like the draft pick idea. So uh, I, I don't I don't think that there's going to really be any progress on this. Yeah, I think it's just like the. The spirit behind the proposed rule, I think, is is good. Like you have to, I guess, you have to incentivize these teams to give black coaches a chance. But it just seems like there's an easy way to exploit it at the expense of these black coaches, which is the biggest worry I think anyone has. Although I think there are some people that are the same people that get mad if, like, a woman gets hired, and they're like, "Oh, would a, a woman get hired if she wasn't a woman?" Like, I, there's always going to be those people, but I think there is a legitimate concern that it's going to be exploitative if they actually put in this rule. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it feels like there are plenty of good candidates, minority candidates this this time around. And I guess we'll see what actually happens with uh, the interviews and the, and the hirings. Uh, Charles Curtis put together a list of he put together sort of a primer and we're using it as a tracker for this. Uh, so you can find that for the win, but uh, you know, there, there are guys out there who have proven track records and should get a chance um, to interview for these jobs. So we'll see if it turns out that way. Uh, like I said, later this week, we are going to do a deeper dive on each playoff game and uh, you know, we'll, we'll dig in on, on what we see there, really do some analytical uh approach to to what we expect to happen wild card weekend uh and that should be fun and we're hoping to have mina kimes join from from espn you guys have probably heard of mina kimes don't really need to introduce her that much uh how do you guys want to close it any any closing thoughts on on the season before we uh, head to the playoffs i'm uh kind of glad it's over <laughs> I'm so glad it's over. I've been like begging for the playoffs to start. And like the fact that we no longer have a 32 team league operating during a pandemic is probably a good thing for the country as a whole. Yeah, that's a that's a positive step for humanity. So uh, let's close it that way. Thanks for joining us at The Counter. Uh, Appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. 